Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Chris. Yes. Howard David, how are you? I'm doing good. How you doing? I can't, you know what? It just dawned on me. When I first started doing uh, the Giants pregame show with uh, Coach Bill Parcells in his first year, you were three. Right. You were three years old. How old do you think I feel today? Oh, I know. Listen, <laughs> trust me. I, uh, I know. I'm sorry. Crap, I feel old at 40 right now, so I know. Jeez. Those are a long, long time ago, but good days. Yeah, good days is right, and, and your dad was, was on the show a couple of times, so I've known your dad since, my goodness, since you were three, long yeah. time ago. And to, even to this day, he had one of the great Super Bowl performances in history. If I'm not mistaken, he, he completed all but three passes in the Super Bowl win over Denver. Yeah, no doubt. Twenty two or twenty five, really. Could have been twenty four or twenty five. It was it was that close. He had a drop. Had another guy where it was uh, he had McConkey open down the middle and it was pass interference. They didn't call it, but either way, yep, that was a special day for the Sims family. What um, what which which is more correct? Was it a burden or a blessing to be Phil Sims's son? Oh, it was definitely a blessing. There's no doubt about that. I mean, hey, I, I've got to live an unbelievable life full of. You know, great times, lots of action, you know, growing up, you know, hey, listen, yeah, were there tough times where, you know, you got to hear people say things about your father that you don't want to hear or you feel like it's a little unrealistic and all that. Okay, yeah, I did. I probably had to grow up and deal with some of those things maybe quicker than the rest of the world. But it also, I feel like, made me put the world in perspective a little bit more and you know, getting up on a Sunday morning and, you know, knowing, holy cow, I'm going to go to Giant Stadium today and watch my dad play, you know, Reggie White and the Eagles or things <laughs> like that. Man, that that's unbelievable. And, of course, you know, what he did, uh, he made our last name known, and that certainly gave me advantages in life, too. So you follow in his footsteps as a quarterback in the NFL and had uh, appearances with, with three teams, I think. And then right. uh, you turned to coaching as an assistant with New England. Is that right? Yeah, I was um, in New England, basically, you know, the, the do it boy, the low, the low guy on the podium, uh, totem pole, the bitch boy, whatever you want to say there, <laughs> really. But, uh, yeah, I had a little bit of a job where uh, I was, a, you know, an, an offensive quality control, had to break down all the film for the offensive side of the staff, and then had – uh, scouting duties to go along with that. So I was there for about 18 months. Uh, it was great experience. Everything about it was, was really awesome. But, you know, I also, you know, I have kids now who are older. I have a daughter who's 14 years old, a little boy that's 10 years old, and it was killing me. I mean, I felt like I went a year and a half without 
without seeing them very much. And then really what, what was the final nail in the coffin is, you know, I would say about a month 15 or 16 into the job, I got offered another job in the NFL to be a quarterback's coach. And I, we had moved a lot since I had lost my spleen in my NFL career and all that. I kind of changed things and we moved a lot towards the end. And, you know, I told my wife, I came home and told her about the offer and she was like, what, we're going to move again. <laughs> and, uh, uh, she was like, I don't know if I signed up for this. And, and I was like, you know what? I don't know if I did either. That's what made me kind of get into the, the media side of the business. Well, you know, obviously having been in broadcasting as long as I've been, I understand that constant moving around. Uh, but if you want to succeed, if you want to grow, you really have no choice. No, exactly right. I mean, that's just life in the NFL. If you want to climb the ladder and continue to get better jobs and do that type of stuff, you know, more times than not, yeah, that's going to be, you know, three, four, five moves in your life, let alone, okay, you know, maybe you finally get the position you want and who knows what happens when you're at that position. Did the head coach get fired? Do you get fired? Whatever else. So, yeah, there's a lot. It's a tough business. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I always said, you know, maybe when my kids get to college, maybe uh, uh, one day I'll, I'll revisit jumping back in and, and being a part of it. Uh, we're talking with Chris Sims now of NBC Sports. Uh, when I met Parcells, it was 1982 when Ray Perkins was the head coach of the Giants. And then he went to Alabama and Bill got promoted to the head job. And then doing his coach's show, we, we would get together for a taping once a week on a Thursday night. And he was very honest with me to the point of where they had a lot of trouble in that, that season. They were 3-12-1. Uh, right. they, were, they were getting vilified in the press. George Young was shopping Bill's job. Uh, and, and Bill told me about it. That's the thing that, that shocked me. So I've had this long relationship with Bill and had tremendous respect for him. But coming yeah. off the Parcells tree was Bill Belichick. Now people have come off the Belichick tree. I think it's fair to say now that Belichick, because of six championships, is the greatest of all time. Oh, I, I don't even I don't even think that's debatable. You know, I, that's like it, it's clear in a way. It's it's like you know who's the greatest basketball player of all time. I mean, you know, again, I love LeBron James, but it's Michael Jordan. You know, I, I you know I don't, maybe that's not the best reference, but yes, what Bill Belichick has done. In this era, which is way harder in any other era with the salary cap and free agency, you know, what people don't realize is, you know, like the 49ers in the 80s and the Cowboys in the early 90s, they spent more money than the other teams. That's why they were really good. I mean, they had, you know, some of the highest paid guys at every position on their football team. You know, Bill Belichick did not have the advantages of that. He did not go, oh, you know, oh, yeah, the rules are are skewed to where if you're in a big market, we can just outpay everybody like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers do in baseball. So I think when you take that into account, and then, you know, I hear a lot of people like, oh, Brady's got seven and Belichick's got six. You know, maybe it is him. And like, are you kidding me? Well, first off, Belichick has eight. All right, let's say if we want to right. be technical, right. you know, and the Giants don't win those two Super Bowls without one of the greatest defensive game plans against the Buffalo Bills to stop that special offense and really to hold John Elway and that offense back in the 1986 Super Bowl. It was 10-9 at halftime and really held them to only three points in the second half 
Elway threw a prayer Hail Mary type post down the middle at the triple coverage where his guy caught it late and they got a touchdown. So Belichick, to me, hands down, everything he's done, uh, the game plans, the creativity, always ahead of the curve in the NFL. You just talk about, oh, the rules are going to change to you know uh, benefit the offense. Well, he gets away from smash mouth football and starts to spread the field and do things like that. Becomes a passing offense. Oh, okay, now everybody's catching on to that style. Hey, then let's get the you know the two tight end look and get Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez of the world and start exposing people that way. It's just constantly ahead of the curve, and that's where to me it's. It's really not even close. Belichick's the greatest coach I've ever seen. Of course, you got a little bit of a break when Norwood went wide right against with Buffalo. Uh, <laughs> yes, he did. But to yes, be fair, did. to be fair, Chris, that Buffalo team, uh, I, I thought, you know, player for player, they were, how the heck they didn't win a Super Bowl after four appearances because they had no weaknesses from Jim Kelly to a great defense no. to a great running game to wide receiver. I mean, they had it all. And, uh, you know, unfortunately... It happened. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Super Bowl night. If you're sitting there with Belichick watching that game, tell me he's not gnashing his teeth watching Brady win that game. Uh, well, you know, I don't think he is like that. You know, my experience, you know, as of knowing him, you know, since a young kid and even being there up in New England, you know, he's just not that type of guy. He really isn't. You know, of course he's aware of what Brady's doing and all of that. But the one thing that always jumped out to me about New England was, and, and I'm forgetting the phrase I always use here, but they were self-motivated. They weren't externally motivated. They were not looking at like, oh, this guy on their other team said this. Let's post it on the bulletin board and, you know, use it as motivation this week. They were not one of those type of teams. The teams that are like that are the roller coaster teams in the NFL to this day, where I go, well, yeah, this week they're up because it's emotional and there's some bulletin board. But the next week when there's nothing, then you go, whoa, why are they playing down to that team's level? And that's because they're all over the place emotionally. In New England, the one thing about Belichick always is it was always about what am I going to do to get better? Hey, coach, assistant coach, what are you going to do to get better? Did you coach your guys the right way today? Hey, players, look at yourself. Were you the best version of yourself every day this week in practice and those type of things? They were never worried about the other opponent or what this was, and that's why they're a machine up there. And, you know, again, I'm sure he's, you know, uh, realistic about that conversation, Brady, Belichick. But, but for people, and again, Brady's awesome, but I, you'll never hear me say that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Never. He has benefited from being in the greatest situations of any quarterback in all time. Yes, he's clutch, and yes, he's up there with the best of them. You know, I understand that. But for me, no, he's not, you know, as talented or as good as a John Elway or an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes or, you know, even a Peyton Manning in his prime. When you really break down Brady, you know, and people always go, well, he never had great weapons. Well, you know, look at if you break down Brady and you use analytics, nobody threw to more wide open receivers in the history of football than Tom Brady. Nobody benefited from great defensive game plans more than Tom Brady. And then he also got the benefit early in his career to win three Super Bowls where they played run the ball defense. He, he managed the game to a degree. It wasn't 
you know, what we see or what we saw from Brady four or five years ago where it's the shotgun and he was just picking people apart. And I think people forget that. You know, the first Super Bowl, he's got 98 passing yards going into the last drive of the game. He throws for 145, they win the Super Bowl. All we talk about is Brady, but the defense won that Super Bowl. So I always push back against that narrative. People think I'm a Tom Brady hater because I say that. And I just say, no, I'm just keeping it realistic and, and real, at least from my point of view. I happened to Chris, I was talking with Chris Sims of NBC. Uh, I happened to broadcast that Super Bowl when the Patriots won their first for CBS radio. And earlier in the day, I ran into um, uh, to the Patriots owner, uh, jo- uh, Bob Kraft. Yeah, Bob Kraft. And he, right. and he said to me, he says, well, what do you think? And I said, I think you're going to win the game tonight. He goes, why? I said, because your offensive coordinator, Charlie Weiss, says that he can run the ball. And I, and I think Charlie, the world of Charlie, I thought he's a great creative mind. And I said, I think you're going to win. He goes, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you and your wife come to my post uh, party in the hotel tonight? I said, win or lose? He goes, win or lose? I said, okay. <laughs> they win the game. I show up at the party. And his son, Jonathan, meets me at the door and says, well, you can't come in. I said, why not? Well, you're friendly with Parcells. And you know about the anger between Parcells yeah, and the Kraft. Sure. Well, so I said, Jonathan, your father invited me. So Kraft shows up and he goes, what's the problem? He goes, well, he can't come in here. He's a Parcells friend. And, and Bob says, I invited him. Get out of here. <laughs> I love it. Well, the Kraft family is awesome. And that shows you how protective they are of their own Belichick, Brady, all that stuff. But, you know, again, that Super Bowl is a great example. Come on. That was one of the greatest offenses in the history of football. Yep. And they couldn't move the ball a lick until the very end of the football game or do anything like that. So, uh, again, it, it's not a knock on Brady. I, people think I don't like him because I say these things. No. I just, again, it's like it's like saying, oh, Derek Jeter's better than Mike Trout because Mike Trout has no World Series and Derek Jeter's got five of them. I want to go, are you kidding me? Derek Jeter's my favorite baseball player of all time. He can't shine the shoes of Mike Trout. Right. Mike Trout's one of the greatest baseball players to ever live. And, you know, for whatever reason this this era we're in right now, it's become the team wins, it's the quarterback. The team loses, oh, it's the quarterback's fault. And then yet in the next segment, those same people who will say that will go, it's the greatest team sport in the whole world. And you're just like, what? Well, I'm confused on what the hell we're talking about. Uh, and, and, again, I love Brady. But I just don't always, uh, you know, I, I guess I push back against that narrative a little bit, as you could say. Yeah, he's Chris Sims. Chris, let me ask you about this. Uh, when you make the transition from being a player, a coach, whatever, into the broadcast booth, did you get any advice from your dad? You know, no. I think the one thing I, you know, I, of course, I, I watched my dad, you know, announce games so closely for years and years and years. So I, I almost, you know, learned it through osmosis to a degree. But the biggest thing I always learned from my dad, whether it was playing, the broadcasting, you know, in the studio now, doing all that, he was a worker. He, he, he worked at it, like, and invested his life into it. And I just know just because of that, and watching him through the years and him always saying things like that to me, I just knew, okay, well, when I get in this business, you got to study. You got to study the teams you're going to talk about this week. You got to really dig in hard and try to find out, you know, little nuances that maybe other announcers aren't seeing and things to bring it to light to the viewer or whoever's watching on TV. 
And that's probably the biggest thing, you know, I learned from my dad in, in any, any aspect of life. Let me ask you this, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. You took some heat for ranking Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Is that accurate? Well, no, you know, yeah, no, Mahomes was the year before. I said Mahomes is clearly the best quarterback in the draft, and I took tons of heat that year. Then the next year, I went Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen are the two best quarterbacks in the draft. Yo, you're an idiot. You're just trying to get clicks, and you're a shock jock, and you only have this job because of your dad. It's the same thing every year. Last year, I said Herbert was clearly better than Tua. I got all that crap and everything about it. You know, I don't do it to, like, you know, shock people or shock value. I don't give a damn about social media or anything like that. You know, I had Burrow number one last year. I had Kyler Murray number one the year before that. But I've been around it my whole life. I've seen a lot of really great – I've gotten to catch passes from some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, let alone taught from really smart people. I played it. Uh, And, yeah, I've taken a lot of crap, and I'm taking some crap this year uh, again. Yeah, I, for Zach Wilson, you pick you, you have Zach Wilson rated higher than Trevor Lawrence, or is that not accurate? No, it is, and and you know, uh, I, I'm and and, and the, the the worst thing about the business is when you do things like that, they think you're it's an indictment on Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is awesome. He is definitely worthy of the number one pick in the draft. I just like Zach Wilson more. I think his top end talent is greater. And I think his game translates to the NFL better. So, yes, I have Zach Wilson, you know, as my number one quarterback in this draft. You know, when I watch him play, I see Rodgers and Mahomes type of stuff where, yes, he can read defenses. And if guys are open, he's going to hit them all day long. But when the windows are tight and they're not that open, he still hits them all day long. And then when there's nobody open and there's nothing there to be had on the offense, they can buy time with great athleticism in the pocket and create time and then manipulate coverages and throw 30-yard lasers all over the field. And that's really what I'm excited about, Zach Zach Wilson. It's the best arm in the draft. It's the best accuracy in the draft. And within the pocket, he's the best athlete in the draft. And to me – that translates to the number one quarterback in the draft. Well, you know, the, the week schedule doesn't bother you. The competition is overblown. Uh, the fact of the matter is he comes out of a BYU system where they've been going. That they, They've had excellent quarterbacks over the course of time. Uh, Jim right. McMahon comes to mind. Uh, Robbie Bosco, I mean, you name it. But the fact is Steve Young. Yeah, Steve Young. McMahon, those, yeah. yeah, so the fact is that he comes from a factory of, of breeding quarterbacks and a passing offense. Uh, Parcells said to me, that he thinks Trevor Lawrence is a generational quarterback. Um, so if so, if you're the Jets, do you pick Zach Wilson at number two? Oh, without a doubt. I'm, I'm running to the, the podium. And, and listen, I didn't go into this process thinking that. I kept, I before the draft and before I started to really dig in, you know, I was one that was going, hey, listen, Sam, I still got faith in Sam Darnold. You can win football games and go to a Super Bowl with Sam Darnold. He's had a lot of crap around him. And right. as I say to I say on TV all the time, you know, when you got crap around you everywhere, you're going to get some crap on you and smell like crap. I don't know what people expect. You know, he's not a magician. He's not Superman. Um, but then I looked at the quarterbacks, and, of course, I saw Zach Wilson. And then I also go, wait, it's the Jets. It's Mike LaFleur, who just came from the Shanahan system. Right. His brother's Matt LaFleur. 
he's got to be looking and going, wait, the quarterback that my brother has up there in Green Bay is just like this guy. And, oh, yeah, he just had 48 touchdown passes and five interceptions, and they've lost six games in two years. So from that standpoint, it just makes too much sense. All the draft picks they got to go with it, it's their chance to really build a young nucleus and let them grow and build together to where you have something special down the road. And, and, you know, one more thing I just want to hit on that you said. You know, people talk about, you know, the BYU, Zach Wilson, lack of competition, things like that. You know, I, I don't always like that stuff. I hate, first off, when people say, oh, he's a winner. But John Elway was 4-7 and seven his last year in college football. Patrick Mahomes is 4-7. and seven. I don't know what people expect. we got to be realistic when you evaluate the quarterbacks. You know, if there's nothing there and your team's getting dominated, they're not God or Superman and going to be able to overcome that. And then also with the small school thing, like, hey, Big Ben, Josh Allen, Phil Sims, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Flacco, they worked out okay. You know, so I don't look at that. And I look at BYU, too, just to add to that. I never watched a game on film, and I watched almost every throw of the year to where I went. You know, there was a game or two, yeah, but for the most part, I didn't go like, oh, they're – they're so much better than these teams they're playing. It's just, it's not even fair. You know, I would argue that Trevor Lawrence had, had you know, less pressure on him other than the last two games of the year, every year. He was always on the field with the best team on the field. Even when he wasn't on his game, it didn't matter. Oh, here's a screen pass to this guy. Oh, he runs for 40. Oh, I missed a pass. Oh, no big deal. I'll hand it off to Travis Yet He runs for 30 yards. The more and more I broke down Trevor Lawrence, and again, I want to make it clear, I really like him, and I expect Jacksonville to take him at number one. They're going to run a college offense with Urban Meyer, I would expect. He fits that. He's got size, a big arm, and all those things, and I, I really like it. But when I really broke him down, too, there's more missed throws than you realize, at, you know, than, than what I realized watching on TV over the last few years. Sometimes we just swipe it under the rug because, okay, yeah, he missed a first and 10-yard out route that's wide open. But, hey, the next play, you know, the wide receiver who was, you know, more talented, the other guys just ran by the guys wide open, and we just go, oh, who cares about that other one? Zach Wilson didn't have that, you know, that uh, um, freedom. You know, if Zach Wilson didn't hit the 10-yard out on first down, it was like, uh oh, they're in trouble. Now it's second and 10. I hope he can create something the next play. So I think that has to be taken into account when you talk about that stuff, too. Sorry for that long answer. No, that's that's all right. Uh, so if you say take Jack Zach Wilson at two, do you keep Sam Donald or do you try to move him up? But even before you get there, if yeah. the Houston Texans dig, stop digging their heels in and decide to trade Deshaun Watson for a boatload of picks from the Jets or whomever, you make that deal if you're the Jets, right? You don't. Really? You don't. No, the Jets got too many holes. You know what the Jets will do if they trade for Deshaun Watson? They'll be just like the Texans. They'll be 4-12 and with Deshaun Watson. They got, uh, they got a horrible football team. They got holes everywhere. They got no good receivers, no good running backs, below average offensive line, no pass rushers, horrible corner play. They, they can't afford to, to, to sell the kitchen sink for one guy. And I don't know why Deshaun Watson would want to be a part of it either. So that's something I've been saying for a long time here. The one thing I've been saying here is the Jets, and now that I've gotten to evaluate the quarterbacks, and yeah, I'm saying you should draft Zach Wilson. Yeah, you you look to trade Sam Darnold. 
you look to trade him before the draft. And the one thing I've been continued, I've kind of been saying is, to me, you know, look at that staff of the Jets. Where'd they come from? Oh, that's right, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. San Francisco's been trying to, you know, find an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Sam Darnold is an upgrade in yeah. every way as a physical football player over Jimmy Garoppolo. I really think that makes sense. I have no inside knowledge, but that makes sense. And then what that'll do, too, is, you know, so now you have the Jets 49ers, you know, combination there, and there's there's some common people, right, just like the Lions and the, 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 Lions and the Rams, Rams had with the Stafford golf trade. Right. And then here's the other dot I connect. So now Darnold goes to San Francisco. Shanahan and Belichick are very close. And I just think if Darnold goes to San Francisco, Garoppolo will end up back in New England, and they'll find a way. And that, that to me, is my calling my shot here, you know, a few weeks before the draft. Chris Sims of NBC Sports. Uh, when I saw Justin Fields against um, Clemson, he played great. Right. He played great, and his, his draft stock went up. Now it's not there. Give me a thumbnail sketch of Justin Fields and how high can he go. Right. It, 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 there, there's a lot of big-time talent. He's built like a Greek god, like Cam Newton, except he's just a little shorter, you know. And when when his his arm is a big-time arm, I mean, he maybe has the strongest arm in the draft. But the problem is, you know, when he's off his game a little bit, he doesn't hit the broad side of the barn. You know, and I could, we could even go back, and, and this is, to me, part of evaluating the quarterback. Listen, it's, it's easy to hit wide-open receivers. I want to know when things aren't perfect, what are you doing then? And to me, that concerns me a little bit about Justin Fields. One, it's a very much of, you know, hey, let's, let's protect him. He doesn't really have to understand who's, who's hot, who's blitzing. And it's a lot of just one-read throws. Oh, there's that guy going down the middle. He's wide open. If that guy's not open, you know, he looks to run. He's not the best decision-maker off of that. That concerns me a little bit. Of course, at Ohio State and the Big Ten, they were clearly the most athletic team on the field every game. It wasn't even close. It's almost as bad as Clemson against the ACC. You know, they outmatch people. But there's too many slam-dunk, easy NFL throws that are missed by Justin Fields. He's the worst short, short ball thrower out of all the, the big-name quarterbacks you see in the draft. And even in that Clemson game, listen, there's some amazing throws. There's no doubt about it. But the Northwestern game before it, the Alabama game after it, and some other games too, where it, the throwing is just not up to par to be a top 10 or top 15 pick, in my opinion, that would scare me. But even in that Clemson game, yeah, he's got the deep post that's amazing, you know. But there's a few completions he has where I go, oh, it wasn't really a good decision, but he got it in there. And then here's another aspect I think people lose. You know, guys wide open down the left sideline. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, they throw it. The guy walks in for a touchdown. There's a lot of times where it it should be a walk-in touchdown for Ohio State, but the receiver's got to fall to the ground or adjust and catch the ball because it's not really on target. So he has some elite traits, but he's not NFL ready, in my opinion, right now. And there's some mechanical flaws in his throwing, just like there was with Dwayne Haskins and Cardell Jones. I don't know if they're being taught that there or Ohio State or not, but to me, he's a guy that is a later in the first round type pick. 
I'd love to see him go to a place like Pittsburgh and sit behind Big Ben for a year, work on some of his issues, and then, you know, I think he has a chance to be something, but he's just not as NFL ready right now as Wilson Lawrence or Mac Jones. Well, real quick, because I, I, I got to run, but let me ask your opinion quickly about Trey Lance, who's yep. projected on the mock draft to go four to Atlanta. And Mac Jones from Alabama, who apparently had good workouts at the Senior Bowl, even though he didn't play in the game. Um, you come out of Alabama, let's face it. <laughs> I mean, uh, you come out of a yeah. factory that produces great defensive players and, oh, by the way, pretty good wide receivers. No doubt, you know. But, you know, it, this is, you know, it, it's like Lawrence or Ohio State with Fields and all that. It's kind of that same conversation. Mac Jones is a better prospect than, than Tua last year. I don't think it's even close in really? my opinion. Okay. Yes, the way they call the offense, the the type of NFL throws he makes, everything. It, it, watching their offense alone lends me to tell me they thought he was a better player than Tua. Let alone there's more big-time NFL throws within the pocket, people around him, things like that. He is a bullseye thrower, bullseye after bullseye after bullseye. Kevin Mond is number four on my draft list. Draft list, the, the quarterback from Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. He, to me, he's the next guy. And then it's Fields and Lance. And to get to your Trey Lance thing, I love Trey Lance's high-end talent. There, he can really run, and he's actually a more consistent thrower to me mechanically than Justin Fields. But he played one game last year, and the year before that, yes. You know, they were undefeated, and he didn't throw interceptions. But there's games where he throws the ball 12, 13, 14 times a game. It would scare me to death to draft a guy like Trey Lance in the first round who really has lack of throws at the college level. So I think he's a guy that you draft in the second, and you hope, hey, two years from now, he's our guy. But their offense was play action, look at one guy, throw it to him. Hey, great, he's open, we game-planned it. There's not a lot of NFL realistic type quarterback play there, and that's why I have him number six, and I think realistically he's a second-round guy. There's no way he goes at number four. I'm just telling you that right now. Atlanta, first off, I think would be crazy to do that. Matt Ryan, 36 years old, is not old in the NFL anymore, and he is not a top-10 quarterback uh, or a guy that I think you can plug and play here in the first year, and that to me is not a top ten quarterback just from that standpoint alone. Sorry, okay. long uh, answers. That's okay. Uh, uh, after the draft, I'm going to have you back on. We're going to we're going to compare notes. Cool. <laughs> hey, Chris, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it, and stay safe. Anytime. Stay I look safe. Forward to after the draft, that'll be good. Thanks. All right. He is Chris Sims of NBC Sports. Well, I don't believe in stopping at one opinion about quarterbacks that are coming into the draft. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube